Miss Booker, we are live. Are you ready to do this thing? I'm ready. Let's do it. KTTV, uh, giving you what you need. Uh, motivation, education unleashed. H-Town representing, we forever keep it rolling. Join the conversation with inspirational stories. Start provoking, feel that energy. Kendrick Thomas aiming to lift the community. True indeed, uh, tune in, come and see. Uh, giving you what you need. KTTV, let's go. KTTV. What it do, KTTV? This is KT, and I'm coming at you live with another episode of Education Unleashed. And on tonight's episode, I have the coach, the leader, the consultant. Anything else you want to add in there before I shut it down? <laughs> oh, Mrs. Jasmine Booker. How you doing tonight, Ms. Booker? I'm doing good. All right. Well, look. Uh, just for good measures. Thank you for coming on tonight uh, and, and taking some time out the busy schedule. I know we talked a little bit in the pregame. It's been a long one. It's been, been a long week. But, uh, but I appreciate you. Uh, you know, I, 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 I don't know. What made me say Thursday? I think it was just when my week was in. But <laughs> when I tell you the energy it takes to get into this flow right here. Right. <laughs> But that's good, though. So uh, I always like to start off um, before we get into the interview, before we get into the work, by simply just asking you, um, how have you been and how are you maintaining balance within the work? Um, I think I've, I've been really good at actually finding like some really good synergy. Um, I think a lot of things have started to come together um, within myself, like mentally, for me to um, really kind of own my space and where I'm at right now in the work. And so it's all working itself out. Sometimes a little too good. That's probably why I'm so tired this week. <laughs> too hard. Too, we just like over engulfed. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh -huh. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> Um, first, uh, uh, I say again, welcome everybody to the show. Uh, tonight, uh, we got Miss Jasmine Booger. Don't forget, we got a few of our favorite segments. I'm looking forward to uh, sharing our outstanding educator highlight, uh, because we're going back to A Leaf, so we got somebody good in the city. Uh, and also the parent teacher corner, we know that homework, uh, is real. Uh, I, I know there are a few mixed feelings on homework. Do you believe in homework? I do. Okay, okay, you know, I, I do. I just don't grade it. I wouldn't grade it because that's mama grade sometimes. I can so, yeah. agree with that, but I do believe that you need to practice. I, I do agree with that. Yes, you got to get that practice in. Mm -hmm. uh, so looking forward to talking about that. But uh, from where I'm from, we always like to get right to the money. So I'm looking forward to our conversation tonight, uh, simply just talking about just the leaders, uh, the mental health. I know you gave us a teaser uh, when we were at Hampton. Um, And so tonight we are back. Uh, so once again, thank you for just really sharing how you're feeling. Uh, and so for the people that don't know, mm -hmm. uh, can you give us a little bit of background uh, on your journey and some of the experiences that led you to um, even the topic of what we're talking about tonight? Yeah, so I um, I've done quite a bit in education and my my little, I'll call it like a medium stint. I won't say it was short. Um, but uh, I started in Fort Worth ISD. I graduated from UNT. I stayed in the DFW area. I am from Houston. I was 
um, born and raised on the south side, southwest side. Come on now. Huh? I say, come on now, southwest. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, I started in Fort Worth, um, really ignited a passion for learning. Um, I eventually made my way to Dallas um, ISD. I did that for a year before I, I decided to move back home to Houston. Um, when I first got back, I actually worked in A-Leaf ISD for that year, but around that time, I had also finished my master's and had just gotten my principal certification. And so I was just itching for my first opportunity to be a leader. Um, and that actually came going to Houston ISD. I worked at Wheatley High School as a, um, a science teacher specialist, and it was like my first role like out of the classroom. Um, strictly around instruction, coaching those things. Um, and then as quickly as I got into that role, and it didn't even require me to have my principal cert, but they rifted the role within the district. And so I had to scramble again to find another role. Um, and from there, I actually made my way into charter. Um, once I went into charter, I became a dean. Um, I really, especially because I started teaching in the ISD, we had we have a lot of misconceptions about how charter schools work and the benefits that they have on um, communities with black and brown students in them. And I actually fell in love with the like the, the red tape that charters don't have in comparison to ISDs. And so it actually led me to like seeking out principalship there. Um, I moved to a different charter where I became a principal and I was a middle school principal for three years um, before I actually burned out of that job and had to like really take a step back. And it was once I reached this like pinnacle, like I felt like from the time I stepped into the classroom when I was at Fort Worth ISD until I stepped out of education as a principal, um, I was just that was like the epitome of where I thought that I was going to go. Like I just knew like that was the space where you make change, where you really have an impact on all students in your space. And I was just very quickly um, like plucked back into reality um, because the instructional leadership space is the hardest role that you will do like the one in the building is the hardest one that you will ever do in education when you're doing your right and so the the people who like everybody gives the accolades and they love and adore in those roles i can i can say from experience i know that the burden that that is that they're carrying on their shoulders in order to be their best selves for the people and the kids and the communities that they support most definitely look it's real. It's, all, yeah. uh, it's real. You know, I'm uh, yeah. in that uh, A-Leaf uh, Learning Center. So, you know, I'll turn to. Uh, and so, man, I tell you, some of these kids have the hardest shield, right? And they will keep you busy. But but when you think about the staff that mm -hmm. it takes to uh, really make it happen, like, yeah. you know, you love teaching, but you, you got to really love teaching on some of these <laughs> Yeah. So, so big shouts out to them uh, and big shouts out to you uh, for just the work, uh, you know, putting it in. I do agree about the charters. Um, I, I know last week uh, we talked a little bit about vouchers and all of those pieces. So uh, right. pretty much everything just going hand in hand. Right. So as we get into the work and, we, and we're thinking about black females um, and, and I know a lot of the promo, we talked about the struggle. So 
when you think about challenges of uh, black female leaders uniquely face today, uh, what are some of those challenges that really come to mind uh, that you are, uh, I guess you faced yourself when you say yeah. you got tapped? Yeah, um, I think when I think about it, like, yes, my background is education, but I think just being a black woman in leadership in general, um, or just when you hold a space of uh, like reverence to other people, like there are people looking up to you. When we walk into a space, like we are just not treated equally as our peers. There are just so many other standards that we're being held to. We have to worry about hair discrimination. Like a black woman is less likely to be hired for a job if she's wearing her hair out natural in like a natural style that's defying gravity. Um, we have to worry about inequity. So a black woman is paid 64 cents to a dollar for, for what a, a white man is paid for every dollar. Um, we also have to worry about like pregnancy. And so you don't get to just show up or yourself being functional in the work, there's also this level of all these other pieces that there's a standard for you when you get there. Um, I think that we see it like across the board. We, we see it on TV. Like we see it with like Angel Reese in the basketball game. We saw it with Angela Bassett when she didn't smile or clap. And so it just really starts to weigh on you that all of your small gestures and emotions and the way that you respond to things, there's a standard for it. I mean, I think that for me, showing up to work every day as a leader, um, I have to be thoughtful about like, what am I wearing today to work? Um, I have to be thoughtful about, is my hair combed? I have to be thoughtful about like, there's just like not a lot of room for error, even on the basic things. And so when you compile just your appearance, um, the, the way that you speak, your tone of voice, like even your emotions, when you feel passionately about something, the level of thoughtfulness that you have to put into responding to things can be very taxing in leadership roles. And so when you couple all of those with, I, then I also have to actually be knowledgeable and smart enough to do this job, it can really weigh on you. And I know for me, I found myself in a lot of spaces where I, I had enough energy for one or the other during that time. I either had energy to be good at my job or I was gonna have energy to be like what I needed to be in my personal life. And during that three year span, and it didn't start off that way. But by the time we got to COVID, all I had enough energy for was to be a, like to do my work. Like I missed birthday parties. I'm, you know, I'm, I missed lots of other things of participating with my family. Like by the time I got home, I didn't cook a lot that <laughs> during that time. Like I was just so taxed and tapped. Like but I just wanted to shower, go to sleep so I could recharge for the next day. And so it really just became a thing of, I gave all of myself to being good at the work because I was only measuring how good I was as a person based on how good I was at my job. Wow. And the thing is, uh, we always talk about balance and the importance of it, mm -hmm. but oh my God, how <laughs> is it really implement that, right? Because, right. Um, you know, sometimes with this, uh, I'm not going to lie, sometimes you got to come off cyst. Right, to just get it done. Well, I take that back. 
I used to think you had to become obsessed, <laughs> but now I'm practicing balance, right? But again, I used to think that because, um, you know, for instance, like I, I just learned like trading and blah, blah, blah. And mm -hmm. so for a while, I had to become obsessed uh, with that. But then it's like start to level off. But some people never find that off ramp. And so they just keep going into the work, into the work. Mm -hmm. uh, so I agree with that mental health. And um, and then also, like you say, with the with the discrimination uh, as a black male. Right. Uh, I face that same thing, too. Uh, and, and so but I do I have sensed over the last few years. Uh, just more of an appreciation for black women in general because all of that stuff you said is true. Uh, last, I want to say last semester or something, uh, Rice University had something where, where they were talking about uh, a culture study um, mm -hmm. in a series. Um, and so I, I took part in those classes and man, I, I mean, just <laughs> like it was sad. Like I almost wanted to stop because I knew all of the research was true. Mm -hmm. You know, but it was so one of them was just all about black women and mm -hmm. like the way that it was made. Why? So, so the question, the million dollar question is why? Is why is it like this? Yeah, why do you think in in, in twenty twenty three? Why? Um. So, I think the concept. I think for black women, the reason why we continue to experience such a heavy load of it is because it's harder for us to assimilate than it is for a black man or a Hispanic woman or a Hispanic man. Um, like as a black man, like, yes, you're black, but you're still a man. So there are other privileges that are afforded to you that as black women, we, our culture, our race, our looks, like all of those things all count against us. And it's just the, the burden of getting over those is just so much more difficult for us because we, we have to deal with one, the sexism. And then also like there's this cultural uh, part of us being black in this space too. And systemically what that means for us. Yeah. And, and um, you know, as an educator being in those schools, uh, you see how how defined that is, even culturally, right? In, in the way that some students treat their female teachers versus male teachers, or even coworkers, right? So, Absolutely. most definitely. And so then, I th I think how we solve their problem is become troublemakers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, when when you think about breaking those barriers uh, and, and just trying to do your part to kind of level the playing field in, in the world that you can. How do you see that playing out as a professional troublemaker? And what do you call it? Yeah. What do you say? So when, now that I, when I say professional troublemaker, I, the term comes from the book by uh, Lovey Ajahi Jones. She has a book called professional troublemaker. She really gave me a name for the behavior I was already displaying. <laughs> Oh, that's, I just really like it. Um, the concept of professionalism has always bothered me for a lot of the reasons that we talked about the discrimination that Black women experience. Um, professionalism, it just feels like it's been this way to police and to regulate people of color to 
just really to tone us down. So everything from our hair to our, our tone. I used to, even food scents, like certain things used to make me uncomfortable to even warm up in the microwave, depending on like the schools that I worked at, because it like warrants this uncomfortability when we have to have a conversation about like, oh my God, what are you eating? Like even those little things, but I feel like this coin professionalism is just a way to police and regulate us. And I feel like Black women consistently, not even I feel like, there are studies that show Black women consistently report feeling the least respected in workplaces. And mm. I think that we have to make a decision when it comes to professionalism, we're either to be considered professional, we have to quietly weather toxicity or we have to risk being unprofessional when we decide that I'm going to defend myself and I'm going to react and speak up to this wrong that I'm experiencing. Mm -hmm. um, and I think for a long time, especially when you're younger, when you're inexperienced, as you're going through things, you you tend to lean towards like, I'm going to be professional, which means like I'm not going to say anything because we all have that first experience where we do respond and then it's like, well, it was aggressive and I felt uncomfortable with your tongue. Like we have to go through that. And so then you have to make a decision from there. For me, I just really got to a place where I can, with, with zero feelings, no emotions and a straight face, like, and regardless of your title, as long as what I'm saying is the truth, I know that I am not being malicious. And I also know that given the facts, given the data, what's in front of me, I am saying like what need, like what needs to be said, what we all know is true at this table. I'm actually okay with it making other people uncomfortable because I made a decision that I'm not gonna be the person sitting at the table always being uncomfortable. It doesn't mean that every day I choose violence. However, should the occasion call for it, I'm just okay with being the professional troublemaker at the table. Like I'm okay with being the one to say like, no, I don't agree. Actually, I don't think that's a good idea. Like what data and evidence do you have that supports that? Like I'm okay with giving the pushback because I know it's not from a malicious place. And I know that ultimately, especially when you're the only at the table, what you're speaking up to probably affects kids that look like you and they need you to use your voice because they can't. Yeah, most definitely. That that makes me think of um, uh, the book, the I think it's Six Thinking Hats. And so, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, so whenever a friend used to ask um, something crazy at the table doing our IOT meetings, <laughs> Thank you. I'm a black hat. <laughs> I said, okay, well, thank you. Uh, so, you know, just get, but yeah, I agree. It has to be that person. So I don't think anything is wrong with that. Um, yeah, I, th I think it goes down to either you're a yes man or you're not. So it sounds and, like you. And this is more than that. It is really, <laughs> in the book, what she talks about, it's a line to like, the imposter syndrome part. And I think mm -hmm. the biggest part of that is that it's not that, because a lot of the reason why people don't speak up at the table is that they're afraid of something, right? There's some kind of consequence that we believe is coming from speaking up, speaking the truth. And I don't think it's that I stopped being afraid. It's just that I stopped being, I stopped letting being afraid or letting fear be the reason why I didn't. 
So I'm not going to let fear of rejection be the reason why I don't ask. Like, I'm, you're going to have to tell me no. Like, that's where I am now. I'm not going to let, like, fear of, like, not living up to somebody else's standards not be the reason why I don't show up as authentically myself or I don't do the things that I know, like, give me the most fulfillment or fear of the unknown. Like, unless I'm sure, like, 100% sure that this is going to kill me, I'm probably going to try it because... Yeah. Ultimately, like, what's the worst that can happen? And I think that a lot of times we just become so stagnant because we've already created a narrative in our head about what could happen if I do this. And so it's not to say that there aren't consequences for our actions. It's to say that a lot of the things that we want to do, the things that probably mean as well, we shy away from them because we're so sure that the narrative in our head is going to be the outcome. And many times it's not. Yeah. And so then how do you see, how do you see um, like their problem being addressed, even if it's not in schools or maybe, maybe it's like you're saying, it's that professional setting. I think about my friend Danielle who wrote uh, the minority report. And so she's a chemist, mm-hmm. right? And so she worked around all these guys and, they would come up to just ask her, can they fill her hair and all these pieces? And so she wrote about it uh, as she quit. Right. But it was, um, but it was one of those situations. And so what kind of initiatives or um, man programs do you think people can put in place to kind of combat things like that? Yeah. You know, it's one of those things like uh, we always talk about, and I've, I've heard and I've watched many women and actually of different races talk about this. But when you're sitting at a table, you one need to know what your role is at that table. Like it's just about like understanding the dynamics of the people. And so I think that as men coming to a table, you also need to understand the level of privilege that you have in terms of the authority of your speaking in comparison to when there's women sitting at the table. And how are you when you are sitting next to a black woman or a woman who is being like overtalked, overshadowed? How are you stepping in to say like, oh, I'm sorry, Jasmine, what, what was that? Like, I heard you saying, like, how are you using your position to also? So I think that that's a level of it. I also think that the more we just get to a place of one of the things that um, we talk about a lot in our workspace is like radical gender. Um, uh, um, a comfortable space of feedback, like being an environment of feedback where it's not about attacking you, but everybody being comfortable in a space where things can be addressed. Because the worst thing that can be true is adults all knowing that there's a problem, knowing there's an elephant in the room and nobody feeling comfortable enough to be able to address that. It speaks to the level of um, really trust in a space Um and like the culture of that space. So I think that a lot of the, as leaders, the culture that you're building in your space, the types of policies and systems and things that you're putting in place, they start to dictate how your people show up and how they function in terms of like those interpersonal dynamics. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was talking to um, Dr. Ford. Oh, I can't remember where she's at, but she's upstate, like Virginia, somewhere like that. But um, one of the things that she said is at her school, she invites people to bring them wholesales. You know, she said a lot of the times people be like, well, check your stuff at the door 
mm-hmm. a chick that she say she invite people um, to bring in them wholesales uh, mm-hmm. because she feels like that makes them more uh, interpersonal, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and and more yeah more relatable to the kids too, you know, just bringing the real sales in. So I, I do agree with what you're saying. I think that's beautiful. And I think that there are very few of us who are walking into spaces like that, especially because our wholesales, there's our wholesales can, when, when there's not a lot of us, when we're a minority in spaces can be too much for some people. Not that we're actually too much, but when you don't understand the cultural dynamics and like where somebody's upbringing and how like they're bringing their personality development into a space, it can you can almost be the other. And so like it is a blessing to be in a space like that. I think that we saw lots of studies after the pandemic that showed that black people are thriving in this work from home or this hybrid environment because they were able to be them their full selves like at home <laughs> rather than your representative that you have to show up with like i think we do more than just code switching a lot of us depending on our environment do a level of masking that can be exhausting Oof. look look i'm telling you so <laughs> like this is my second year at the school and so uh every morning uh when i'm coming in you know, I'm switching from like Kendrick to Mr. Thomas. Uh-huh. And so each morning I walk in, I still got my earphones on because it was hard to get to my office and I haven't transitioned yet. Um, so I, I don't want to talk yet. So I had to come in and kind of have my earphones and my glasses and I keep my shades because then people say, okay, well, it, it works because now nobody talks to me until I come back out the mm-hmm. office. But almost that's what you have to do because you do have to you know, change into that person. And sometimes that does become exhausting, you know? And so, uh, but, but I thankful, I'm thankful now uh, that we built that relationship. And so I do get to be a lot of just me and it's not tight uh, yeah. versus some places when you work in where it's just tight and you, mm-hmm. woof, you know, you got to be rigorous all the time. Um, all the time. Uh, yeah. So, so, so um, awesome work. Um, very relatable. Uh, but I do understand the plight that it is just a little bit different. I had um, whew, Dr. Iris. Uh, she founded uh, Gloria Greens. Okay. Um, and so she was on and she was saying even back when she was pre- uh, presenting uh, the company, it was just her talking to a room full of men. Mm-hmm. And so uh, she didn't even know if they were going to take her serious. Luckily, they did. Mm-hmm. But it was just she was saying she was the only female and she was presenting like this company uh, of greens and soul food uh, to a bunch of white executives. And, but hey, she pulled it out, but it right. still was a big thing. So it's, you know, still the same thing, still the same place. Yeah. Most definitely. Most, so now we talked a little bit about the mental health uh, at the beginning uh, and you taking that break. And so um, it's early in the year, but if this was a Harry Wong book, we probably would be in survival right now. <laughs> so I'm just trying to see, as you think about that work and you're working with leaders, mm-hmm. how are you talking to them about their mental health? Um, and specifically, um, well, you know, before we even get to mental health, I want to ask that question about uh, women leaders that you're working with. And so as you talk about that work, you're passionate about that feeling. How does that spill over into 
the conversation that you're having when you're coaching leaders uh, out in the field? Um, one of the things is like, I'm always very empathetic to leaders beyond what the surface level. So I show up as someone's coach, right? And so they're always going to start with all of the things that they're doing for the work. But because I've been there, I've done that, like, I, and I know the stresses of it. I know the questions to ask you that really dig down past the moves that you did today to tell me about your data, to tell me about like some system you implemented, to really talk about like, what, what are you struggling with? That the thing that's like got you tossing and turning and keep, keeping you up at night. Um, and so I think that I've just really developed a niche to be able to connect with them and be more empathetic to what they have going on. Like I'm the only person showing up that is not going to ride you about like moving something. Like I'm really the support. And so when I show up, I'm thinking about where I was at certain times of the year, things that I struggled with and helping them really navigate and to think about those things differently. A lot of times the things that I say, when you're stressed out, the simple fix is usually not what comes to mind immediately. And so I'm there to just be this voice of reason, like, let's just do this one thing and let's start there. And then let's do, you know, like tomorrow we'll worry about the next thing. Um, and I think that that's consistently been a space of comfort for them because I'm, I'm there to relieve stress, not to give you one more thing to do. Yeah. And you know, when you, when you're thinking about the coaching um, oh. and that word, uh, like you say, people think like I'm just uh, another person coming to add something on the plate, uh, right. give you a hard time. And so I remember when we started uh, working with the Bambrick, um, and so then we set up like a coaching series. It was like, okay, what well, we got to do, we just had people go back and read definition of coaches. We had to read articles about coaches to be able to change that whole connotation uh, to be able to say we are the people coming in for the support, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not your administrator. So, I mean, right. um, so yeah, I, I get it. I get it. And then when you think about that mental health of mm -hmm. those leaders, um, knowing you, you've seen that tap out, you see how it happens. How do you also kind of talk to them about uh, that state of mental health? And, and as you think about that, I want to just kind of share out with some leaders who may be going through that now. And like, what would you say? Um, I think strategies that like I did was I had to think through things like, I really had to evaluate for myself, like what does taking care of myself really look like? And if I was asking somebody else to do this at the core, how would I get them to understand? And so I realized I had to start taking care of myself based on my love language. Like, so the same way that I'm expecting other people to show me love, care, and affection, I had to start doing those things for myself. So mine are um, like quality time and physical touch. And so I started figuring out like, what are ways that I can set boundaries around my time? And so I just started communicating some like very solid boundaries around, like I'm not going to answer my phone after 8.30. And ways that I really helped myself was like, I'm gonna put my phone on do not disturb. And so I'm, you, we're not gonna even be able to have a conversation. Um, or 
for a while too, around towards the end of like my last year being a principal, I stopped sleeping with my phone in the room. Just like mm-hmm. that way I would I would know that I wouldn't touch it an hour before going to bed. I would charge it in a completely different room. Um, and then I also started thinking about thinking about again quality time like how could i give myself back more time for just me that wasn't spent on other things and so i i I have now i'm not beyonce i'm not telling people to quit their jobs because i have expensive habits right but my expensive habits give me back time and efficiency so like i get my clothes dry cleaned because ironing clothes just doesn't seem like a good use of my time Um, I order my groceries to be delivered to my house because walking the aisles of a grocery store doesn't seem like a good use of my time. Um, I have a cleaning service that comes every other week, like that deep cleanse, because I'm just I'm not going to like white baseboards and blinds. Like I know I'm not going to do those things. And so rather than even stress myself out because I know they need to be done, I just started giving myself things or like buying into habits that gave me back the things that I needed. And then I like massages. So I bought myself a foot massager because if you know anything about working at a school, your feet hurt every day. Like it doesn't matter where you wear tennis shoes, flats, heels, like your feet just hurt because you're always on them. Um, And then I bought myself a monthly uh, subscription to um, massage heights. And so like, those were the ways that I saw. So I think that it's first a step back to say like, what, what, how do I receive love and how can I show myself that love in the ways that I would expect my husband or, you know, my family, people that are close to me to do the same. Yeah. Um, look, wait. <laughs> Girl, I did not think about that. When you yeah. say love myself mm-hmm. with my love language. Yeah, with my love language. I never thought about that. So, because yeah. Brian is gifts, so I'm about to go buy something tomorrow. Man. <laughs> I've been waiting on the reason to get this car. Right. So now, when I'm in this, when I'm in this bank, I'm gonna think about you. All yeah. right, but that, that is it. Like, Jasmine said. <laughs> yeah. I, I but listen, these are things that I knew about myself. I knew like that makes me happy. I'm like, yes, it does cost me a lot to dry clean and do all these things. But those things in the grand scheme of things, if I had to give up other things to be able to do those, I would because what it provides for my mental health, like the grocery store thing, as much as I like to cook, not walking the grocery store legit will fix my whole mindset for the day. Like not knowing like I got to go to the grocery store. Let me like write my list. Like not having to do that is a big deal. Man, I think I um I always thought about trying that because I always want to eat better. But <laughs> it gets me. I think I'm gonna try that this week. What you do, like a like a I court or what they call it? I do shipped. So I use shipped because okay. it'll it'll shop any uh of the grocery stores in your area, even like CVS and stuff, it'll shop all of those. Yeah. But I do ship. And the way I cheat too is like, you know, at HEB, you can buy produce that are already chopped and stuff or, you know, picked yeah. up. So that way you don't have to worry about, did they pick the right fruit and all of that stuff? I just go to HEB, I'm going to get the chopped stuff. That way I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> yeah, let's take, let's take all the guesswork out. Man, you I love it. I love it. <laughs> so now as we close out, um, I wanted to just talk a little bit about this. Um Thinking about imposter syndrome. So we mm-hmm. got black female leaders who may be dealing with that. 
uh, when you're doing your coaching uh, and you see that, uh, first off, can you explain what it is? Because I do know some people who don't know what it is, uh, even as we talk about it. And then when you're working with black leaders or people aspiring to be those leaders, what do you tell them when you kind of see that inside of them? Yeah, so imposter syndrome is something that a lot of us don't realize that we constantly engage in. As a matter of fact, especially in a lot of Black women, I see that as they say things like, oh, I struggle with perfectionism. So imposter syndrome is where you're showing up in a space and you don't actually believe that you're qualified or worthy of being in that space. And so many people will be like, oh, no, like I'm not I don't think less of myself. But imposter syndrome shows up in ways like this. If you were filling out a job application and there are 10 qualifications, if you realize that you don't meet three of these, these qualifications and then you don't apply for the job, that's imposter syndrome. Because statistically, men will see that they meet three of those qualifications and apply. But women, especially Black women, if we don't meet all of them, we just assume that, oh, that means I'm not qualified to do this job. When realistically, you're more than qualified. And even if you didn't know those three, you could learn. But we won't even push ourselves like beyond that. In our brain, we already told ourselves, oh, I'm not good enough for this. And so it's like those little ways that we are already like counting ourselves out. Um, and so when I see those things in them, like, or we think that a lot of black women too, that I come across, they think that they are procrastinators. And so I said, I remember having this conversation with somebody one day and they were like, I had two weeks and I said, I was going to work on this thing the first, the first weekend so that I would be done. And I, I watched, I binge watched this show and then I did this and then I, I cleaned that. And then before I knew it, two days before I was sitting down to complete the thing. And I said, oh. I said, well, were you going to like review your PowerPoint or your presentation? If you had done it the first weekend, were you going to like look at it again right before? And she was like, no, like once I'm finished, I'm finished with it. I said, okay. I said, um, was the presentation quality when you presented it and gave it? She was like, yeah, I got great feedback, survey data, blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay. I said, did you feel guilty about watching the show in the time that you were watching it? Was it not worth your time? Said, and she was like, no. I said, well, it sounds like you didn't need all of this time to do that. It sounds like you just prioritized what, what you needed for yourself at that time and you got your work done. And she was like, I didn't even think about it like that. And I'm like, because somebody has told us that, you know, if you're not doing it early, if you're not this, but if you don't need two weeks to prep for something, why are you telling yourself you need to be ready two weeks in advance? Like, where did that rule come from? We will make up these rules for ourselves and tell ourselves that we need to be, I need to have it by this and I need to do this. But the, like, that's not, a, that's not written anywhere. We just decided in our brain that this, and then we go on through life functioning on these imaginary rules, burning ourselves out. And then we're frustrated when it's not yielding the level of fruit, this perfectionist perfectionism level that we're believing we should be at and I'm just I look around now and I'm like sometimes I'm running on 50 percent and I look around at people around me and my 50 percent is killing your 90 and so yeah. why <laughs> am I making myself believe I need to be running uh, at full speed all day because I don't most definitely that was powerful uh, but it's real it's real and I do see it uh, like I say I've dealt with it uh, so, uh, 
man, good, good, good word out there for um women who are going through that. Um, it's real. Uh, that's all I can say, really. And so yeah. now, do you have uh any literature or or something that you put out that kind of addresses all these things that you can share with us? Who me personally? Yes. Not yet. It's funny. Okay, okay. So I um I've been talking back and forth. I'm I am I've already like started outlining a memoir where I talk about like in detail like my story, like my career journey that kind of got me through how I realized like I've been dealing with imposter syndrome for a lot of years. And so I'm in the process of like really sharing my story. I've only gotten to a recent place of being confident enough to even believe that my story was impactful enough to share with other people. And so it's something that I'm working on. Yeah, most definitely. Well, it definitely is. So uh, I just want to say thank you for sharing it. Uh, thank you for taking some time out to uh, talk about the work. Yeah. Uh, also, I, I look forward to uh, sharing out those clips uh, of this uh, because people need to hear it because it's a real situation we deal yeah. with, right? Yeah, and uh, hey, what'd you say? I said absolutely. Yeah, and the much we can, more we can change the narrative. Uh, yeah. One person at a time. Let's make it happen. So, uh, thank you for all that conversation tonight. <laughs> all right. So, what we'll do uh, is we got a few minutes. Um, I want to jump into this. So. I'm going to take a quick break, and then when we get back, uh, we're going to do, I'll do my educated rapid fire. Let's get ready to run that thing. So when we get back, I got 10 quick ones. All right. Hey, y'all, we, we will be right back. KTTV. You see the drip, yeah, I fit it up. Hop in my car and the giddy up. Secure the bag, yeah, I get the bus. Pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. You see the drip, yeah, I fit it up. Hop in my car and the Man, all right, welcome back, y'all. Um, the Jazz and Booker just put it down, just dropped <laughs> drop so many jewels tonight. Uh, on those questions, uh, so important that we talk about and discuss um, leadership, uh, black women and, and the challenges that they face, uh, glass ceilings, imposter syndrome, uh, all of that. So, uh, once again, I appreciate you for, um, you know, just talking about that and sharing your story. Like you say, you didn't know it was impactful. Um, I'm trying to tell you. That. <laughs> Please you, get right. that out there. All right. So, uh, wait a minute. <laughs> we about to get ready for one of our quick segments. <laughs> go hard, but go home. Go home. Go hard, but go home. Hey, and then we got something from uh, Dr. Felicia Bolden. Shout out to Dr. Bolden. Uh, thanks for dropping great nuggets. We need a part two. <laughs> See, there we go already. All right. So what are we going to do? Let's take a few seconds. And I am watching the clock. I want you to answer these questions uh, without thinking. Just, just go. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. All right. Early bird or night owl? Which one best describes your leadership style? Oh, um, early bird. Early bird. Okay. You get up early. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm up at 430. I think uh, I'm struggling though. I think I'm gonna push that back to at least by five. I'm dying here. 
Uh, chalkboard or whiteboard? Which do you think makes a oh. more inspiring school message? Oh, uh, whiteboard. Whiteboard. I don't put that. Get them dry erases. I remember when the game changed, man, and, and chalkboards just became non-existent. Okay, thinking back to your administrator, best subject to lead: math, science, or English. Oh, science all day. Oh, yeah. One book sure. every school leader should read. What's your top recommendation for principals? Um, Atomic Habits. Okay, then. All right. Thank you. Uh, most memorable school event. What's a what's a moment that you will not forget? Um, oh, I let the kids one day we were doing like celebrations and I let the kids pie me in the face. I actually wow. have that. Video. I should post that. Yeah, that is something. I, I, I remember <laughs> I did. Uh, we did a fundraiser and I got taped to a wall. That's a good one. It was but, real. And I'm stuck. But uh, <laughs> my most moment, uh, and I, it's an open story, got me uh, when I was a teacher. I, I was doing the uh, special ed ordering. So I was mm -hmm. like the department chair. So I'm getting yeah. on, I'm thinking I'm helping. And so uh, I said, man, I got the, my life skill kids and they go to, go to the cafeteria. They be all messy. Let me get some little Toilets for their hands, right? Something where they could just use real quick. Teacher come through. Okay. So I ordered one thousand sanitary napkins. <laughs> I did, I did. That's why when you start like, oh, this going left for sure. <laughs> Look. <laughs> and so when I got the box, and I realized what it first off, it should have been some people. Defending that order. How did this even get to the district? <laughs> but it made it though. And so uh, they, they got me when the boxes came in, they set me up. When the boxes came and I realized what they was, they was there to snap a picture. And so for, for like <laughs> three did. years, they couldn't on wait. the PowerPoint, they got me like this on the PowerPoint. Uh -huh. As they should, because you need to hey. be. <laughs> I, didn't know, I didn't know what it was. I thought it was toilet. Oh my God. <laughs> It was terrible. Okay. Uh, principal's pet or problem solver? Were you the model student or creative thinker in school? Uh, problem solver. Problem solver. Okay, then. Yeah. Top school tech. What's your favorite technology for improving the school environment? Um, I, I would have to say like Chromebooks. I think that that's okay. Cool. okay. Let's, let's get everybody to get in. We can get a one-to-one -one or something going. Yeah, I definitely uh, believe in that. Okay, key principal strategy. So share a quick tip that helps you lead your school effectively. Um, plan for everything, not just the instruction, not just the culture, plan for the joy too, for both kids and adults. And last question. If you could lead any school in the world, mm -hmm. where would it be? If I could lead any school in the world, mm -hmm. um, where would you be? I would still be in Houston because okay. yeah, H-Town all day. Um, yeah. But it would be my own school. If I was going to yes. go back to that, that would be my own school. Man, I love it. Look. <laughs> Look, we th thank you for going through them questions. Um, I don't know if your story was memorable. Mm -hmm. Worse than mine, I think I would never, ever 
I think I'm gonna just share the tape story versus that story again. That was probably exclusive. That was just exclusive. Okay. Please, besides the people who I already know. Well, thank you for uh thank you for that. So what we'll do, we'll take one more quick break and then we will come back. Um man, let's let's do our parent teacher Okay. okay. Yeah. You see the drippy, I'm fitted up. Hop in my car in the giddy up. Secure the bag, yeah, I get the bus. Pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. You see the drippy, I'm fitted up. Hop in my car in the Woo! Shout out to those commercials just because aktv.com we sell stuff. Um, and the book is out. So if you have not went and checked out the book, I did put some literature together. Um, and so um, a pencil is the least of my words is specifically for like the, the target audience is the school with the 94% other than African-American staff and 70 to 90% African-American student population. Mm -hmm. How do we build the bridge? We use the book and the workbook. A pencil is the least of my worries by Kendrick Thomas. Let's run that one more time. You see the drippy, I'm fitted up. I'm in my car in the giddy up. Secure the bag, yeah, I get the bus. Pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. Okay. For good measures. All right, I'm just having fun tonight. So, parent teacher corner. Are you ready for that? Yes. Let's do it. All right, on tonight's Parent Teacher Corner, we are talking about building a positive homework routine. Uh, we talked a little bit about homework, uh, and we said it doesn't have to be a nightly battle. Uh, it can be productive and enjoyable uh, learning experience for the child. And so I think tonight I'm just going to give a few ways uh, that parents can kind of set that up, uh, thinking about doing 10 years in elementary. Um, of course, we went back and forth with the homework. And so we came to saying that practice is very important, mm -hmm. uh, but we just won't grade it. And so I think you said you agree with that? Yes, I do. I agree with that. Yeah, most definitely. And so what I have are five quick ways uh, that parents can uh, create those positive uh, homework routines, uh, just practical steps. And so the first one is, and I think you would agree with this, a consistent homework time. Yes. You know, um, being in that routine. So choose a specific time of the day when your child can focus up and stick to that schedule to create that sense of routine. So what you think about that? Same thing as bedtime. It's the same thing. Yes. Keep them on like that schedule. Part of your whole like nightly wind down. Yeah. Mm. Uh, number two, uh, designate uh, a homework space. So create yes. a quiet, well-lit workspace that's free from distractions. Uh, ensure all necessary school supplies are readily available. Yep. Most definitely. Uh, now, this is the one right here. <laughs> because if you don't do this, then you're going to get the game right there. You're going to get the, the, the small handheld game. You're going to get the phone. Set clear expectations. Uh -huh. Let your child know what is expected during homework time uh, and outline any specific goals or tasks they may need. Depending on what you set up, if you just have it listed out and y'all go through them, every, it's depending on the age of your child, let's review. what. How do we do this? Yes, absolutely. Mm. 
most definitely. Uh, break the task into manageable chunks. So uh, help your child break down larger assignments into smaller achievable parts uh, to reduce the feeling of being overwhelmed. Yes. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely something for them GT students and all them kids who really get that work on them. Small <laughs> chunks, man. Uh, offer support and encouragement, which is our last one. So be available to answer questions, provide assistance, uh, and encourage a growth mindset to celebrate their efforts and their success. Yes. Yeah, I think we went through uh, that growth mindset. I, when I tell you, we spent a few years just really developing that culture. And so being able to see uh, kids who were building out AVID and the growth mindset mindset, uh, at the same time, those kids exponentially grew, yeah. right? Because they just, man, it was it was fun just watching it. That's, that's why I loved elementary, because you get to see, like, man, when you came here, you, first, you couldn't even talk when you first came. Right. <laughs> the fighting on the playground. Yeah. But yes, so by following these parents can create homework routines that support the child's learning and fosters independence and responsibility. Uh, anything you got to add to that? Yeah, I would also say to um, what we're seeing in literacy right now, um, a parent giving the book with their students. So you having a copy, the student having a copy. So even if your kid doesn't have homework, 20 minutes of reading, allow your student to read to you out loud where you follow along in the book. As If your kid makes mistakes, correct them, tell them what this word is, and then make them start over from the beginning of that sentence and read it again. Because then you're training them to like, one, know what that is and the fluidity of the sentence and it improves literacy. Man. All right, that's... Oh, thank you so much. Uh, for that, I do agree with the uh, parent-teacher corner, uh, building positive homework routines. Uh, remember what we said. We're not grading because right. in some cases we grade mama. Like when, when you get this F on this paper, mama, you would get upset. You get offended. <laughs> we call you. And we so so just, <laughs> practice. Please, that's all we ask you, bro. Okay. <laughs> so we'll be right back. And when we get back, uh, we'll get into our last segment for the day. And that is highlighting uh, one of our educators. So we'll be right back. Yes, look, once again, y'all need to go to kttv.com. I told y'all we got all these commercials in here because we sell stuff. So. Make sure y'all get there. All right, Parent Teacher Corner. Uh, I appreciate that. Now, Outstanding Educator Spotlight. Let's do it. All right, tonight, our Outstanding Educator Spotlight goes to Miss Tiffany Banks. We going back to the leaf, y'all. <laughs> Oh, we're going back to the leaf. So Tiffany Banks, Albright Middle School theater teacher. Uh, and so she was shouted out by Mr. Renford Joseph. Uh, he was on the podcast. Remember when I told you we had the one where I couldn't hear nothing? Yeah, that was Mr. Joseph. <laughs> uh, he is our director of fine arts and Ailey PISD. Uh, okay. So he was shouting out Miss Tiffany Banks. Uh, so, man, her get shouted out by the boss. You must doing your thing. Right. All right. And so he says Mrs. Banks was the district secondary teacher of the year. For 22 23, 
Uh, she does an amazing job with her theater students, and she also teaches speech, speech and debate kiddos. Uh, she goes above and beyond to always ensure her students are receiving a well-rounded education, inclusive of the arts. Uh, Mrs. Banks is one of the lead teachers for the district's middle school theater programs. Uh, she truly exudes all that we want to see educators possess. Uh, she has what you can't teach, that yeah. it fact. Uh, yeah. She is a rock star and never gets her due flowers. Uh, she's very humble and works hard for her students and campus. And I truly believe she's a game changer that has a heart of gold. Um, and so he wrote, uh, like, so when I do those parts, I also put a space in where they can just put a direct message. Um, and so Mr. Joseph said, Mrs. Banks, you are truly uh, the educator that our children need in A-Leaf. Uh, you pour your heart, soul, and passion into your students. Uh, your smile lights up in any room that you enter. I truly appreciate you for going above and beyond for our theater programs. Uh, thank you for never staying away from your calling. Uh, thank you for stepping up to serve as a lead teacher on my team. And thank you for believing in the vision that I've created for the fine art department. Uh, thank you for being real and true to the cause. From your boss, uh, Mr. Rebel Joseph, shout out. I love that. Yeah. Look, that was real, right? Yeah, that was beautiful. When the director come come through, so uh, we, I always try to do that because people need their flowers. Uh, <laughs> once again, since the pandemic, the landscape has changed, mm -hmm. and so came so negative uh, regarding education, regarding our work. I said, okay, how can we lift up people but still get the message out that good things are happening? And so this is my way of just highlighting someone every week. Uh, and so if you got somebody that you want to highlight, uh, you can go to KTTV.com, uh, reach out, uh, go to the social media at KTTV. I'll repost the link every time we get through with a podcast um, and just get some more people to come on there. So uh, anything you want to add to that? No, I love that. Shout out to Tiffany. Congrats on, on being the shout out teacher. And yeah, I love that. I'm going to go figure, I'm going to go get my stuff together so I can uh, nominate somebody. <laughs> Hey, there it is. Well, well, I will uh, inbox you the links. Don't even trip. We need them. <laughs> uh, because I do like having them. Uh, well, I think uh, that will do it for us, Ms. Booker. Mm -hmm. um, is there any contact information that you want to share? How can people get in touch with you to talk about the work, uh, to get the services for consulting, anything that you may have? Um, so I have social media, um, Twitter at, at jazz, J-A-S underscore Booker, Jazz Booker um, on Twitter, uh, Hey Dimples underscore on um, Instagram. Um, I do have a consulting business. I also work for Harris County Department of Ed. So it's really a matter of like what you're looking for. If it's servicing your school or district, I would say tap into Harris County. If it's something more personal, um, you can tap into me, but you can reach out to me individually and we'll figure it out. Man, that's it. I think. Look, I thank you. Oh, I thank you for taking that time out. Um, it was very, very informative. Um, mm -hmm. And I do know Harris County is a big part but I think when we come on and we talk about the work outside of the work, like what a great conversation that we had, you know, yeah. uh, just being more relatable, uh, real life. So uh, once again, just thank you for taking this time. I look forward to sharing this out. Um, and I'll get that clip to you in a few minutes, that link to you in a few minutes. I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, y'all. This is KT for KT TV signing out.
100. This is Darnell Broadcast Houston. This is Dr. Tamara Beckford. Hey, this is Candace. This is Linda Underwood. This is Kirsten Bass with Inner City Greens, and you're watching. Y'all are now tuned in to KTTV. 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 KTTV.